Hello, and welcome to the first episode of At Least It's Not Rocket Science, brought to you by AIAA and USLI Collaboration. My name is Nathaniel Hannon, and I will be one of the many hosts here. Hi, uh, I'm JJ. I'm also one of the many hosts. Uh, we're here in the dungeon with one of our other hosts. That would be me, Kyle. And today we're going to be talking about. Well, this is our this is our first episode, um, so we're kind of still working through some of the kinks, but uh, we have some plans for the future that uh, we'll probably bring in a, a style of cycling guests, perhaps with the. Uh, you know, throughout AIAA, throughout the STEM engagement uh, portions of OSU, Robotics Club, just MIME and uh, and beyond here. Sorry, we're just uh, pantomiming to one another. So, uh, you know, our hope with this podcast is to try to get some of the word out between uh, individuals that uh, are possibly interested in STEM, but maybe don't have like a good creative outlet to hear about it. Um, or maybe they, they don't know where to go to to hear some of the news of uh, some of the, the STEM stuff or the MIME stuff that could be happening on campus. And we're hoping to fill that hole. So uh, we're going to try to come at you weekly here. Uh, it'll always be at least Nathaniel and I. Kyle may be joining here and there. Uh, and we also will probably have uh, some guests. Well, we'll definitely have some guests here and there as well. Uh, we're going to try to see if we can get some uh, faculty members in here to discuss some of their experiences and what got them to be where they are. Um, probably try to get some uh, industry professionals through like NASA, Boeing, Raytheon, uh, any sort of connections we can gather. Um, you know, that's the plan at least. So we're excited to be here, and uh, we appreciate you listening. So, Nathaniel, what did we want to talk about today? I guess today's main uh, main agenda is to sort of interview everyone so everyone gets to know us better. Perfect. So uh, who would like to start? Actually, yeah, Kyle. Let's start with you. Kyle's actually sitting in the middle between uh, Nathaniel and I. So, Kyle, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Well, that's kind of a hard question to answer i'm a military brat <laughs> where is your mi- main military bratage uh hawaii and texas hawaii you know i think uh, so full disclosure we're all on the same usli uh, aiaa team and that is the nasa usli nasa university student launch initiative <clears throat> so kyle hawaii and texas huh that is a juxtaposition uh relative to the earth how did the how did that occur uh, my dad was in the Navy, so that's pretty much where we went. What part of Texas? San Antonio. San Antonio. Okay. So you must have been near the Alamo quite a bit then, huh? Yep. The Perry Morgan Hotel. Yep. Riverwalk, all that. Been through all there. Done all the tours. And were you, uh, so for Hawaii, were you on uh, Oahu? Yep. Okay. So we were there about 10, nine years total. We were on K-Bay and then Wahiwa. Very cool. Yeah, Hawaii Hawaii is a very beautiful state, a very beautiful island. Uh, I would like to go back there soon. I went when I was much younger, but I always want to go back. So from Hawaii, so where were you born? Were you Texas or Hawaii? Hawaii. Hawaii. Okay, so you are a Hawaiian uh, resident. Are your, is your family, your family's not there anymore. No, you, they're originally from Oregon. Ah, uh, so that's what brought you back here? S- sort of. <laughs> um. So my parents enlisted out of Salem, and then they moved to Hawaii because of the uh, Navy. Mm-hmm. Had me, and then we went to Washington, had my brother, then back to Hawaii. 
Wow. And then from there, we went to San Diego and San Diego to Washington, I think, again. And then we were in Los Angeles for a bit and then back to Hawaii and then San Antonio. Wow. Uh, so you guys have been all over the the non-contiguous United States. Surprised you didn't go up to Alaska for a little bit there. My dad did. Oh, <laughs> so you did, you did connect the dots a we, little bit. We were... Uh, uh, he also went to Bahrain for my senior year in high school, and we went and visited him for like two months. That's in Asia, right? Or is that the, like the Middle East? It's like. Oh wait, a, that's in between. Like, uh, wait, where? Yeah, where is that? Bahrain is like a little, you know, uh, friend off the coast of Saudi Arabia. It's where all the Saudis go to party. Oh, okay. So, because I know that there's also like the United Arab Emirates also in that kind of yeah, region. Yeah, all in the same area. So that's also a party zone. So, yeah, ba- Bahrain is like a little little island that they're kind of expanding. They're building more island. It's all that. Uh, mm-hmm. the, I think there's a lot of oil money over there. That too, and we got one of the big military bases there. So that's why my dad was there. He was a IDC, a independent duty corpsman. Mm-hmm. So like putting people back together. Trauma surgery. Hmm. Kind of wow. Jeez. Very cool. So uh, so you came back to Oregon uh, after being in Texas, Washington, uh, California, and L.A., Hawaii, everywhere. So um, w- what's your major here? Because all of us are undergraduates, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so what's your major here at OSU? I'm majoring in mechanical engineering with a minor in naval science and aerospace. So uh, I actually didn't know about the naval science one. That makes sense, though, considering your background. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so what got you into that? Is it was it your your dad, your mom, the naval science stuff? The sorry, the the engineering stuff. The engineering stuff. Um, I got myself into that. Really? Um, in middle school, we were doing one of those dumb little, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And then I asked my dad, I'm like, hey, how do you decide? And he basically kind of sat me down and says, you know. The world is always going to need two types of people, people to fix people and the people to fix things. <laughs> you should probably pick one of those things. <laughs> yep. That's, I mean, that's one way to decide. And then I started getting into it and seeing all there is to see, like the, the NASA stuff, like we were talking about getting involved in that. For a while, I really wanted to do prosthetics for oh, that's cool. and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to check out the prosthetics lab on campus here, which is astounding well and, and where is the prosthetics lab i don't think i've even seen that um i think they moved it it was i think it used to be in it's been a while it's been like four years since i've been there so i'll, I'll have to look into that and get back to you yeah i was about to say because we could uh i've never been there so i think telling anyone that hasn't been there that would be kind of cool i mean that's one of the the, the aspects of engineering i think is really interesting mm-hmm. I didn't even know that there was a prosthetics yeah, lab. That's, so. a, that's exactly we what I'm thinking. So many cool things on campus. It is a crime that they don't advertise that <laughs> we can go and do stuff. Like we have a nuclear reactor on campus. See, I, I thought I, I thought I heard about that. There's the whole wave, the wave thing too. There's yeah. also our like array of like solar panels that we have. Yeah. If you go out, um, do you know where the covered bridge is on campus? I do. I've walked over there. If you go over there, they have the uh, the cow where you can see inside the stomach. Mm-hmm. And they got the, the lamb and the uh, pig and meat farm over there. Mm-hmm. Um, they have the solar panels there as well. Um, a lot of ecological um, guys are hanging out over there. That's where a lot of the agricultural science stuff mm-hmm. is, right? Yeah. Um, OSU owns like a lot of the property around Corvallis. Like if you take Doesn't OSU surprise out me. of Corvallis, Corvallis wouldn't be a thing anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're like a, they got the nuclear reactor on camp, campus where they simulate failures. I had a friend in oh. my freshman year that would 
uh, telling me all about this, he would get so excited. Um, and it got me excited about it because I thought about, like, maybe I should minor in this too. And then, you know, the grind got me. But <laughs> At least it's not rocket science. <laughs> At least it's not rocket science, yeah. Um, but he, you know, comes back and they're like, yeah, we're, we simulated a complete shutdown. So if this happened in real life, you know, we would all be Yikes. boned. Yeah. Um, that sort of thing. So it's like a little tiny reactor about the size of, I think, he referenced it like a watermelon or something. Well, that's spooky that um, we would all be uh, given death and destruction by a watermelon-sized package. Well, I don't think that itself was dangerous enough, but if th- that was like a full scale, he was telling me. I think that, uh, you know, I think that that's one of the cool aspects of, of OSU is that uh, you get a look at a lot of that kind of stuff. Like, because I know there's a lot of nuclear engineers that they get a, they get a, to learn about that kind of stuff and become you know, uh, familiar with all of it and they can learn what went wa- what went wrong in previous years. And I think that's pretty amazing. I don't think I'm nearly smart enough for that. Uh, but it's cool that uh, people have the ability to do so here at OSU. So, well, thank you for talking about yourself a little bit. I know it's everyone's favorite subject normally. <laughs> so we will move on to our other host, Nathaniel. Yeah. Hi, Nathaniel. What's up? How are you? Well, I'm doing great, man. Always. Good. Good, good. So, Nathaniel, uh, where did you grow up? Newport, Oregon. Newport, Oregon. A beach man, huh? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, uh, so you didn't stray too far from home then, huh? No, not really. It was the whole situation of trying to find a college inside of Oregon that I could afford. You know, that's a fair point. And even then, some of us still can't afford it. Exactly, exactly. That's why student loans <laughs> exist, right? Yep. Shout out to FAFSA. Yeah, shout out to FAFSA. <laughs> shout out to, to Joe Biden for the student loan forgiveness. We love you, Joe. Thank you. Um, so uh, what's your major? Mechanical engineering and a minor in aerospace engineering. My man. That is also, uh, that is also a good major and happens to be uh, very, you know, very familiar to me as well. You know, it seems that the individual sitting next to you, Kyle, also seems to have that major. <laughs> Wouldn't have imagined. Yeah, I know. I know, right? Couldn't even imagine that. So uh, what got you into the mechanical engineering and even the aerospace uh, aspect? Honestly, since high school, I want to be a civil engineer. I took drafting since eighth grade all the way up until my senior year of high school. Um, I fell in love with just hand drawing all of the the house designs, all of the little components. Um, I never got into the CAD aspect. Because back then CAD was just coming up, 3D printing was just coming up. That's computer aided design for those that do not know. But, um, and then I graduated high school and I came to OSU and I was like, you know what? Mechanical engineering sounds better than civil. (laughs) It certainly sounds a lot fancier, that's for sure. And then the aerospace aspect, how'd that come about? That was so, I came here to OSU and I was got into the mechanical engineering realm and I was just kind of looking at the different clubs and everything and I found HART which is one of the AIAA teams mm-hmm. projects. And what does HART stand for? High Altitude Rocketry Team. Okay. And so I joined up with them. Uh, I was part of the Aero Recovery sub team. Sounds familiar. And back then the lead was Gabe and I mean he was probably one of the best leads. Um so yeah, I got into the rocket industry or the rocket realm here <laughs> through that, and ever since then I've just been sticking with AIAA and the different projects. 
Yeah, I'm uh, my. This is like my first run through with AIAA um, or the OSU AIAA, and uh, it's been a. It's very cool seeing all the sorts of different projects, which uh, we hope to bring some of the uh, the leads here who are actually more familiar with the projects and uh, to speak about them. But uh, Hart, you mentioned, and we're going to try to have uh, the Hart team lead uh, Luke come in one of these days and yep. interview him. So mechanical engineering from civil, huh? You know, that's that also. I I used to. It had like a an architect phase that I went through as well. So I can understand the aspect. Uh, I used to be really infatuated with like skyscrapers, that civil engineering stuff. That was cool when I was too young to know, uh, to know how much I don't like statics. So <laughs> I guess the main thing for me was I wanted to do more of the renewable cities. So sort of oh, cities yeah. that would be renewable in their own energy, use clean energy. Back then it was a lot of uh, legal law legislature stuff. So I was like, I got to switch. Yikes. Yeah. That's like, a, yeah, I was about to say, that, that sounds like a lot more paperwork than uh, I think that I want to deal with as well. Yeah. So mechanical engineering and aerospace engineering. So uh, very cool. And uh, you are also on the USLI team, as I mentioned earlier. And you also happen to be on the same sub team that you were on before. Only, what are you doing on that sub team? Now I have propulsion under my belt. So I have aero recovery and propulsion. And he's also the team, uh, sub team lead, I may add. Yep. So... Run all the simulations in Open Rocket. Yep. Run, iterate um, them every single time. Any little design change, I'm right there. Have to rerun everything, make sure everything cl- clicks out. It's always a good time on error recovery and propulsion when we're up till midnight making sure that we get our preliminary design review in. So Gotta love it. Gotta love it. So, well, thank you. I guess there's a, I don't think I can interview myself, so have at me. Um, well, let's... Uh... Turn that question you asked us back at you. How'd you get involved with uh, mechanical engineering and aerospace? You know, Kyle, that's a great question. <laughs> that's no, a great question. <laughs> um, you know, ever since I was younger, uh, I didn't know engineering was a thing um, when I was much younger. My interest uh, started off overall, um, when my dad took me outside. Okay. So I'm from a very, very small town in Oregon called, uh, Estacada, which has, uh, (laughs) we'll say a hillbilly reputation. Uh, I, I do love my small town. Um, but certainly a lot different than the big city that I'm in the big city of Corvallis that I'm in now. (laughs) Um, but my dad took me outside one night and he pointed me at, he pointed me at the moon. I think I was eight years old. And he said, uh, we've been there. I was like, what? I said, what are you talking about, dad? And he pulled out his telescope, and uh, I looked through the telescope, and he showed me the moon. And I was like, what do you mean we've been there? And uh, he then took me inside and put on one of his, his old VHS videos of the Apollo landing. And uh, he showed me it, and he's like, that's the moon. And I was like, whoa. And that blew my mind. That blew my mind that humans could get there somehow. And so that kind of started me on this path of like, well, a- astronaut was the start, right? And I was like, I want to go do that. You know, there's got to be some way for me to do that. And then as I learned, I learned more as I was older, you know, living in a small town, that's not really that feasible. And so, uh, you know, I started off going to community college out of uh, high school. And I was originally going to go for a microbiology uh, degree to see if I could get in, um, to get up to the ISS at least to do, because I like alien stuff. Um, And so that's what I started off with. But then as time went on, I kind of figured out that I was 
I found out more about what engineering was, and I found out from my dad that I was definitely more engineering-brained and oriented. From A lot of his work uh, is engineering-adjacent. He went to a trade school at uh, in Yakima. Perry Technical Institute. That's free, a little free advertising for you. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I started off uh, the whole astronaut dream, and then as I got through community college, I, I got offered a, a, a NASA community college aerospace scholarship thing, and that set me on the path to, uh, you know, trying to live my dreams, essentially, like, oh, I can, I can go work for NASA. I can be an astronaut, even if I'm from small podunk Oregon or hodunk Oregon, right? So after community college, I went to, I was doing just mechanical engineering at the time uh, to, to transfer to OSU. So I'm not a four-year student. And then I got here and, uh, you know, uh, mechanical engineering. And I was like, I was like you know, th- that aerospace minor seems kind of cool. And it's because I made the decision to get that aerospace minor that we're all sitting here today. So <laughs> I, it's a, I'm a very happy with that decision. So, so kind of backtracking to that, uh, you wanted to work at NASA. Yes, sir. Now, here, we, we know. <laughs> we have some insider access to know that you have worked at NASA. Interning, I should say. And how, how, does, how is that? And how does that make you feel? You know, it's, uh, there's a common thing that's brought up quite a bit uh, within NASA groups and within engineering and like professional environments in general, which is called imposter syndrome. Um, and pretty much no matter, no matter what, I always will think like, oh yeah, I could, it could have been better. I mean, I've even discussed it with you, Nathaniel, like, you know, my internship at NASA was amazing. Of course. Um, it's something I'm very proud of because I, I never thought I could, well, I knew I could do it. I just, I always have a saying, which is, uh, it's not a matter of if I'll do it. It's only a matter of when, and I didn't think that I would do it so early in my life. And so getting that NASA internship, which it was unfortunately virtual, um, which make also it adds like that imposter syndrome, but I still did like a lot of work on it. Um, and I made the people that I was working for very happy with my work, but it was super cool. Uh, you know, I, I basically, I was happy to wake up early instead of, uh, you know, trying to sleep in every, every waking hour. Um, the work was very fulfilling, of course, and I got to work with a lot of very, I mean, kind of like now on USLI, I got to work with a lot of other very passionate people. Um, and I very much enjoyed my, my time there. It was, uh, over the summer and, you know, I, <laughs> I've, you guys also know this as well. Um, not, I mean, it's unfortunate, but I had to deny a NASA internship, uh, actually that I was offered for the spring, uh, this upcoming spring of 2023, uh, because, uh, as the team lead of USLI, I did not want to abandon my team. Uh, halfway through our capstone. So uh, I decided to say, like, I, I apologize, NASA. Uh, unfortunately, I cannot accept your offer at this time, uh, but I'm going to be continuing my NASA USLI thing. So it's kind of adjacent in that regard. So now that we brought up the that you're the team lead to USLI, <laughs> how's that been for you so far? You know, in my honest opinion, it's been very stressful at times, um, but I don't think that I would have it any other way. I think that not only do I have a great group of guys uh, that I'm working with, um, but the, their passion, my passion, and everything that we're doing is very uh, eye-opening when it comes to what the workforce will actually be like. Um, and also just, you know, everything we're doing is very fulfilling, in my opinion, you know. I, I'm the team lead, but I think that we function pretty cohesively as a unit. Um, 
and like I've mentioned before is, you know, uh, all of the success that occurs uh, is everyone's. And then any any sort of issues that arise, I, I, I will always take responsibility for. So that's where some of the stress comes for is like, I always want to make sure that we're, we're succeeding. And, and I take it upon myself, even if it's not necessarily right. Um, I add that stress to my own workload because, you know, I think that as you know, the, the team captain that I always will share some, some role of this responsibility for things that go wrong. Thankfully, things have not really gone wrong yet. Knock on wood. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I'll, I really appreciate uh, the team captain. I think that uh, I respect everyone so much, and uh, it seems that everyone gives me that respect back, and uh, I just really appreciate it all. So, I will say you're doing a good job of being a team captain. I, I'm glad I'm on USLI. <laughs> what do you think, Kyle? You think I'm doing a good job? I think you are doing a good job, and I'm glad I'm not doing your job. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the the thought is appreciated, and th- thank you guys. I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a it's been a time. I do enjoy it, but you know, I've led teams before, but uh, this one obviously is like the real deal now. So, gotta make sure I don't mess it up. But cool. while still on the topic of USLI, you want to explain the USLI team's mission and basically what the competition is? Sure. Uh, so. You guys are distinctly aware, um, but I can explain a summarized version of it. So, uh, a, like I mentioned earlier, NASA USLI, uh, the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, University Student Launch Initiative. Uh, we are a student-run group. Pardon me. Uh, a student-run group out of uh, AIAA, and we are also a capstone team. Or a, For those of you that aren't aware of what capstone is, it's like a senior project. Uh, and so our goal uh, for this project essentially is we mirror the entire NASA project creation and mission concept creation process. So we start off with an well, we start off with NASA giving us requirements for what they want. Uh, so essentially, uh, just a just a quick version of them, uh, we have to hit an altitude requirement. Uh, so we're launching a rocket first. I should probably mention that. We're launching a rocket. Uh, we have to hit an altitude requirement for the rocket. Uh, we have to make sure it's a certain stability. And we have to put a specialized payload on it that does something that NASA wants. I won't go into too many details with that. Um, but basically, NASA tells us like a list of requirements, and we have to make sure we follow them. And so this process starts with us writing a proposal document to NASA before we even are accepted into the competition saying, Hey, this is what we want to do. This is kind of what we're thinking for our project plan. Uh, you know, and this document was our proposal that we finished in September. You know, that was like a 63 pages, I think long document. We were working all throughout the summer, whipping people into shape, making sure that everything was getting done over summer break. It's a good time, right guys? Uh, you guys were working on that. I jumped in like a week before. All help is appreciated. <laughs> you know, it's like, what's summer, right? Yeah, what's summer? Who needs it? We're engineers, right? <laughs> so, uh, you know, basically the process mimics the NASA process, like I mentioned. And so uh, su- subsequent to the proposal, there's our PDR, which is our preliminary design review. After that is the crit- the critical design review or the CDR. Um, maybe I mentioned that. Then it's the FRR, which is the Flight Readiness Review, and then the LRR, which is the Launch Readiness Review. And then after our launch, uh, it is the PLAR, which is our Post-Launch Assessment Review. 
So as USLI, we have to write a lot of paperwork, and we but we are working directly with NASA personnel, and they are doing review panels to actually discuss our work and to, to give us changes and to analyze what we're doing to make sure we're doing it safely, but also make sure we're being professional and everything and uh, following through with the requirements. Now, we actually just finished our PDR presentation and our PDR document, which turned out to be around 83 pages, I think. And so we're making some changes that NASA recommended, but uh, so far it's going really well. And uh, I forgot to mention, but uh, the culmination of this rocket launch is actually going to take place uh, at Marshall Space Flight Center in Alabama. That's NASA Marshall Space Flight Center, I might add. And uh, the launch center, basically, we're going to get a tour. We're going to get to show off our rocket or, you know, I mean, it's going to be a bunch of universities there as well who are launching. Uh, and then we're going to go out to uh, Bragg Farms, Alabama and uh, launch our rocket and uh, hope and pray that everything works out. So that is, uh, that is the, the, the short version of USLI and what we're doing. And kind of moving to you, Kyle. I was putting you on the spot really quick, but uh, you want to talk a little bit about the payload? Because I know that you're on the payload team. That I am. Uh, what would you like to know? Everything and anything. Everything and anything. Just don't mention the tank. <laughs> no, you need to mention the tank. The tank needs to be mentioned. So yeah, why don't you mention uh, why don't you mention what NASA wants for the payload? Uh, mention some of the problems that have arisen when we thought about it, and mention some of our what we're trying to do to uh, to figure out what we're going to do for the design. So what NASA wants is after you know the rocket comes back down and lands. So I'm not sure if they specified actually if this is what they want, but I always kind of thought of it like it was like a simulating a foreign body mission. So that, that when they initially described it, when I read the handbook, I'm like, this is what I think this is. So rocket goes up, you know, it deploys the parachute, lands all the way down, and then it unveils the payload. And the payload, what it is, is it's supposed to uh, take a 360-degree view along the z-axis so along the horizon um with filters and be able to do all this not independently but um commanded by radio so it can't be pre-programmed to do it all autonomously we have to be able to contact it with a radio signal i think that's pretty cool that's like some mars mission mission (laughs) it is um so to do this we had a quite a bit of deliberation um you hate my initial idea i wouldn't say hate <laughs> i would say i despise <laughs> you disliked it very yes. very much i would say that i wouldn't say that i dislike it and i wouldn't say that i would just say that uh <laughs> my apprehension to the tank was the uh the the overcomplication that we may have been doing as engineers which I think everyone can speak to in some case. For uh, those listening, if you guys didn't know, every engineer is going to overcomplicate everything. <laughs> Correct, which is why as soon as I notice it, I try to be like, "Hey guys, maybe we should uh, maybe we should slow things down a little bit here." Which in the long run I do appreciate, but still, part of me will always hold out <laughs> for the tank. Maybe the we tank. can make like a scale model. Just to bring with plans. to NASA. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> Make it out of Legos. So where, where was it? So the, the payload is going to spring out from the nose cone of our rocket and, you know, take the pictures, respond to the radio commands, and then 
be able to be retrieved um, from there. So, like I said before, you know, it was all like a foreign body mission. So, a couple of those designs. Hold on, I don't know if you can hear me. I'm get all cozy with this mic. Yeah, make sure you're. Yeah, you're gonna. <laughs> you basically gotta like uh, kiss the mic. He, uh, Kyle doesn't. Kyle doesn't have. Uh, Kyle doesn't have headphones on, so he can't hear himself. But you should be able to hear me. You should be able to hear him, and I should be able to hear you. I'm sorry. I'm pointing at everyone right now. Sorry. Go ahead, Kyle. Okay. So we had. I think we started with six and then we ended with four different alternative designs uh one of which was the tank the rover idea which was my idea because you know nasa foreign body you know two plus two equals four heritage <laughs> there's, there's heritage. history there you know rover boom right there i was already thinking of plans i still have plans i came up with a bunch of cad stuff still <laughs> <laughs> in my free time and you know wiring diagrams things like that um, i still think we can do it I always Aye. hold out for Aye this. Vey. This is... <laughs> um, Going to give me nightmares. Uh, we had two other alternative ideas. We had uh, both of which were all part of the nose cone. Mm-hmm. So, like, things would spring out from the nose cone, and then the nose cone itself would act like a, a payload, like a drone or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, legs would come out and prop it up. Um, what was the other one? It was a pendulum that would swing out. Yeah, that was the one that I proposed. I thought uh, Jane, Jason proposed Jason, that. Jason or proposed. he added on top of it, right? I added from his. You proposed the claw. No, no, no. That no, was James. That, that was James. That was James Ernest Lawrence Chapman. Okay, whoever proposed the claw, that <laughs> yeah. was the most unaerodynamic I, design of the nose cone. That overcomplicated. That was, that was, that was like, yeah, I was going to say that was a comp- perfect combination of overcomplication and simplification. I'm going to let you guys know that we actually seriously considered the pendulum and pretty much everything except the claw. <laughs> claw design because it was... Silly. It wasn't silly. There's no such thing as a bad idea. But... No such thing as a bad idea. But it was, you know, what we talked about earlier with overcomplications. Yeah. Um, it was that. And then the final design, which is the one we are kind of going for right now, is basically a oversized version of the little Weeble Wobble toys. Say the acronym. Um, it was like gravity-operated orbital payload. Orb payload. Orb payload. Um, otherwise known as the goop. Although Otherwise known as the goop. Affectionately known as the goop. <laughs> Affectionately known. Um, and what that is is... It has a, I think we're going to do 90% of the mass towards the bottom with the camera sticking on top. And it's orb shaped. It's all orb shaped. It's all, <laughs> it looks like a little snowman. Yep. And uh, I think I mean, currently it looks like a little snowman. It looks it, like BB 8 from Star Wars. Yeah, a bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah. Uh, it, that whole thing is going to fit in our nose cone, and it's going to be tethered to the um, ejection uh, chute. What's the, what's the word for the, that? The main chute. The, main the, chute. the shroud line, or the shot cord on the main chute. Not my chute. team, not my body. Yeah, as I was going to say, Nathaniel and I are both on error recovery and propulsion, so um, we have our payload, our payload guy here. <laughs> <laughs> and currently we're trying to figure out a way to tether it temporarily so it's attached to the parachute for the duration that it needs and then be able to detach safely without you know plummeting prematurely <laughs> because that will be fun <laughs> if that happens that could describe the whole rocket 
<laughs> Try not to plummet pre- prematurely. The falling goop. The, the falling goop. goop. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to be raining goop on people. Well, it has a, uh, I think, how many ounces was it? It was like 107. 107. Currently yeah. 107. Yeah. So, and that all is... that is going to be, main, 90% of that is going to be a aluminum plate <laughs> in the bottom of that. That'll make a nice crater. <laughs> oh, I'm much more worried about it falling on somebody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's why I think we're going to just make sure we keep a good eye on it. Yeah. Yeah, we have to hit our... Uh, like uh, we have to hit a altitude requirement, which is what more of the Nathaniel and I's forte. So switching from payload, Nathaniel, would you like to talk about uh some of the rocket stuff that we have to hit for uh, NASA's requirements? Like maybe talk about like the altitude and your many, many, many iterations you had to do. Yeah, of course. Uh, so our current altitude for target is four thousand seven hundred eighty-two feet. Um, we, well, I guess, yeah, we as a whole aero recovery propulsion team did, uh, multiple iterations in open rocket for the proposal itself. It was around 48 iterations. And, and when you say open rocket, what does open rocket do for those that don't know? Uh, yes. Open rocket it is the cream of the crop. It, uh, you can put any component, nose cone, body tube, fore tube, aft tube. You can put fins, you can put just miscellaneous components with mass assigned to them and what open rocket will do is we'll take this rocket and you pick a motor from a library of motors and simulate the apogee of the rocket it'll tell you the center of gravity center of pressure which will give you a stability margin it will also tell you the component it'll give you a components list of what the component is what the weight is on the component the length and diameter gives you pretty much everything and it's just as big it's an open source simulation software in other words it's cool it helps you build build rocket so good and it's free and it's free you know oregon state university i don't know i don't know if you know this but there's free software out there for uh, for those of you that want it anyway go ahead nathaniel continue but uh yeah so currently our apogee is 4782 feet um our Current motor has a five to five point seven nine to one ratio of thrust to weight. Um, Fairly standard. Yeah, and five to one is the standard, yeah, yeah. so it's just above standard. Um, we're we're also looking at a sixty four feet per second off the rail launch speed, which under the USLI handbook we have to be above fifty two. Yes, sir. And. Another thing about the Open Rocket software is you can simulate your launch at a geolocation. So if you know the geo coordinates to your launch site, you can plug that in along with different wind speeds. And it will not only plot, but you can export the data. An engineer's favorite word, data. Always. That and MATLAB. That don't mention oh. MATLAB to me. I don't I I don't like MATLAB. MATLAB I mean, I love MATLAB as an engineer. But like as JJ, the individual, I hate MATLAB. I, I would much prefer not to touch MATLAB ever again. But, you know, I much prefer doing things in Excel, Google Sheets, all that. I can use MATLAB, but I don't like it. I don't have to like it, in fact. I mean, I don't have to do anything and like it. But, but yeah, the uh, the error recovery and propulsion team encompasses a lot. I myself have worked uh, quite a bit on some of the parachutes. And the avionics, uh, which involves some very, very expensive heritage instruments that we essentially just found in a loose bucket, uh, marked USLI <laughs> from previous years. 
So we went ahead and pulled those suckers out, and I've been hot wiring it <laughs> to my computer to a random lipo battery we found, and try to get things to work. And lo and behold, turns out we did not have all the information, and so essentially we are waiting for a uh, a little USB dongle to connect with it, something that would have achieved what Nathaniel and I have been trying to achieve for like the past two weeks. It was so. literally the little piece of the puzzle that we were missing. Just this There's dongle. Also no magical. information online about this stupid Telemega. So I wouldn't say it's stupid. It's pretty smart. I mean it's smart. For a flight. It's computer. only it's only as smart as we are though. <laughs> it's only as smart as we can make it be, right? <laughs> oh my boy. My goodness. Have you have you guys have you guys ever heard about the ten percent rule? What is that rule? That's uh Always be ten percent smarter than the equipment that you use. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I always say. I say uh, when someone says something's messed up, I go, "Is it operator error?" Have you tried turning it off and on? Have you tried turning it off and on? That's a classic one. You know, I'm people a... joke, but currently I work in HVAC industrial systems, and every time I called out to do a service job, ninety percent of it is turning things back on and then back. <laughs> Or off and then back on again. I mean, you'd be surprised how much that can actually fix things, right? Yeah. Well, BT Dubs, that's like a $27 an hour. <laughs> so you should take your time trying to figure out how to turn it back on. <laughs> <laughs> or just trying to find the switch. Yeah, just try to find the switch. I don't Hey, Yeah, you know, or like uh, get really, have some grease in your truck and smear it on your face and be like, oh, man, it's it's, uh, it's a mess back there. I think I might be able to get it done, though. Maybe that's, uh, maybe we shouldn't recommend. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, no. My boss would kill me. <laughs> well, we just won't say where you work. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, that's a, that's a little bit about uh, USLI, it, you know, and just got to make a plug here. Uh, there is actually uh, a an outreach event that's happening from the Cascadia Scout Group uh, over at Mount Hood Community College this, uh, this Saturday. So November 5th, I believe they're starting at uh, 7 a.m. and going till I think about 2 p.m., so uh, I think that anyone is allowed. It's a it's an O-Rock event, which is uh, Oregon Rocketry. And uh, if you have an interest and you want to come see us, uh, we'll be there. So we're going to have a little scale models of the, the Weevil, the Weevil Wallet, sorry, the Goop. It's not a exactly fully fleshed out design yet. It's just like a little mock-up uh, so we can, you know, teach people who are interested. But, uh, yeah, uh, we will be there, and uh, we hope to see someone there, uh, you know, if we sent you. Tell us that we sent you. Nathaniel and I will be there. Uh, we're going to have a few of our other members as well. So, yeah, uh, come on by. Also, uh, that same time, uh, at the moment, uh, I think it's kind of in the air, no pun intended, but uh, Hart, <laughs> the high-altitude rocketry team that we mentioned before, which Nathaniel is actually wearing a shirt for, Trader. Just kidding. He, he's an alumni for Hart, so it's okay he wears that. Uh, no, Hart is going to be uh, doing some launches up in Washington, I believe, Uh I think that it's still kind of in the air because of some of the weather. I mean, it's the Pacific Northwest, so a lot of our weather is uh, subpar, we may say. I mean, I love this weather, but some would not see it as great, especially if you're trying to launch rockets. Uh, so, yeah, they're trying to launch this weekend in Washington. I don't know the exact site. Do you know, Nathaniel? Yeah, I do. And actually, I'm in their Discord, and they announced yesterday that they got canceled oh, due to the weather. Oh. Um, they were going to launch in uh, Tri-Cities, Pasco, Washington specifically. They said that that site is much better than Brothers. Um, really? You can actually walk barefoot, and it's soft. Whoa. That's is what, there bushes everywhere? They said that there isn't bushes everywhere. It's just nice, like a plain field oh, so you can find nice. your rocket really easily what about rocks a lot of rocks 
they didn't mention anything about rocks. From what it sounded like, it sounded more of like a sandy desert kind of. Mm. But uh, no rocks, huh? No. How far of a drive is it? It's up by the Columbia. So it's less than five hours. Yeah. Mm. Or mm. might be the same. Mm. Kind of. I think mm. it's near Pendleton. Oh yeah, that is a pretty far drive. Yeah. Then. Well, that stinks. Uh, well, never mind. Uh, we will try to keep you updated uh, since Nathaniel is in the discords. Uh, we, we will try to keep uh, everyone updated when certain events are happening like this. Uh, since uh, we want to kind of spread the word for AIAA in general, Capstone teams, all that, uh, you know, we are unfortunately not launching <laughs> soon. Uh, we're going to try to launch uh, coming up in December. Uh, we're going to build our subscale for USLI, and then we'll try to get it out there. And we'll let people know as well. Well, actually, our next show, we plan to have the team captain of Heart. Yes, we so do. We, we need could... to actually ask him if he wants to come on next week. Oh, I thought that was already... Uh, well, okay, well, it may have been discussed pre- if he was interested. Pre-umptive. Uh You know, we discussed whether he was interested or not, but uh, we did not say... I think that I didn't want to ask until I knew if they were launching or not. So gotcha. we can talk to him. Uh, I can message him tonight and ask him if he's interested. If not, we can possibly have uh, another guest on. Uh, we have uh, a myriad of guests that are interested, and uh, I think it would be a good time to have any of them on. Do a little uh, do a little talk, do a little interview with them, see how they are, you know, uh, see if they have anything to say to us, anything to the viewers, and yeah. Get to know them the and their project. Yeah, and a uh, big thanks to uh, KBVR as well uh, here at Oregon State University. Um Megan, the podcast manager, has been uh, very helpful in making sure that this happened as fast as it did. So uh, big thanks to her and big thanks to KBVR in general. So uh, we're happy to be here and we're happy to start doing this. So, but yeah, I was about to say, uh, there's uh, probably a few more things happening around campus that I can't think of off the top of my head. I mean, I could talk about, I mean, I could talk about robotics, (laughs) you know. Uh, There's the open house this weekend. For Oregon State University in general. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was about, <laughs> I was about to say, because uh, we were invited to that event, but unfortunately we cannot make it. This is actually the first time I've heard about this. You know, the you really should good. read the Discord when I send messages, Kyle. <laughs> I do. I just, there's a lot. And... Mm, I ping everyone quite a bit in there, but uh, it's always important. So, Nathaniel, can you explain to me what the open house is and explain to who may be listening? So I don't have the most information, but from what I've read and seen in the emails, um, it's basically all students' parents are welcome to campus, and they get kind of a small tour of the specific students' uh, majors, like places that they go. So, for example, if I were to bring my parents, they'd get to see Rogers and all the MIME stuff and facilities. They probably could meet some faculty. Is this separate from Parents' Weekend? Or is this the same thing? Because I might be thinking it the same thing. It might be the same thing okay. from what I was reading, but they called it the open house. Okay. Um, when I hear about this, there's always parents weekend and stuff like that. I do know that AIAA is setting up uh, some type of booth or something to interact with people that come to the open house. So for those of you that are listening that do come, check out that booth. Definitely. Sorry, I'm I'm trying to look at that uh, up-to-date information. I also am seeing my my wonderful uh, heat transfer project grade just dropped. So, uh, Ooh, yeah, I saw that earlier. Yeah, hopefully, uh, 
I mean, I did great, of course. Amazing. A plus. A plus. Yeah. Don't, <laughs> don't mind me. All right. Let me see if I can find this. Uh, oh, there it is. So uh, it's going to be at the MU uh, to start. Uh, so it'll probably start around 10 a.m. Uh, there's going to be a lot of students' families interacting with everyone. There's going to be the College of Engineering Ambassador presentation uh, around 10.15 to 11.15 a.m. Uh, and the event uh, concludes around 11.15 a.m. So from what I could see here, this is the the fifth. So if you're interested, please show up. Uh, we will unfortunately not be there, but um, some of the other AIAA teams uh, will be there as well. Speaking of AIAA teams, there's more than just heart. That we just mentioned. Correct. So there's uh so we've mentioned us, which is USLI. There's um, Heart. Mm-hmm, Heart. Then there's Hail. And what is Hail? A high altitude liquid engine team. Yes. And they're set to hit the Von Karman line, 150 kilometers up into the air. They're also the only Yikes. liquid engine team here at Oregon State University. And have they ever launched before? They have never launched before, but they have test fired a liquid engine before here on campus. Yes. They uh, they also have a lot of uh, volunteers, but I know that they're always looking for more people to, to come in. I mean, all of the AIAA teams are. They're always looking for more people to come and volunteer and help out, but that team, uh, they're doing some pretty amazing stuff. Um, you know, liquid engine, I, I could not imagine is easy. I mean, most of our stuff that we're doing is, is pre-made and then we kind of assemble it. I mean, we're doing more... Uh, design on our own and then assembling but they are they are basically doing it from scratch and that, that's pretty amazing yeah um one thing to note with liquid engine rockets is you actually have to carry your fuel and oxidizer mm-hmm. whereas to we just carry our parachutes and payload yep and they're using uh i believe kerosene and liquid oxygen yes um we have our uh, a good friend of ours uh, ryan becker who is the treasurer of the aiaa uh he is also on hail uh, and uh, I've talked with him quite a bit uh, about that project. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, very cool stuff. So uh, also along with Hale, there is the – we talked about the ones from our capstone class. So there is the – Solar plane? Solar plane. Solar plane uh, it seems also very interesting. Uh, they are trying to get a prolonged flight powered only by solar panels on the plane, I believe. Correct. Uh, very interesting. Uh I mean, it's kind of what you talked about earlier, where it's the just like the efficiency, like talking about like efficient cities and like clean cities and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I mean, it's like clean flight in that way. So that's very cool. Uh, I don't know as much about that. We're, we're more familiar with the rocket stuff, which, you know, uh, that's just uh, kind of the nature of the game when you're a rocket team. Uh, but all of the projects are still very cool. There is also the stereo video drone, Yep. Um, which their project's pretty cool as well. Um, definitely would be helpful out in the world. They're trying to measure marine animals with uh, stereo videography equipment from hanging from a drone. Super cool project. Uh, I think that it could be a lot of help for like marine biologists and stuff like that. Uh, pretty cool. We also have the APOP team. APOP which team. Is the little ramjet. Yes. Sponsored by the Air Force. Yes, sponsored by the Air Force. Uh, that stuff. See, I don't even. I can't even understand what they're doing. That's how crazy it is. They're uh, they're trying to reduce weight and increase their thrust. So they're just basically trying to get a higher thrust to weight and ratio. They're trying to generate power, though, right? Yes. Yes. I think they have a turbine or a generator that they're just going to have hooked up to it to measure the kind of wattage. From my understanding, is they're basically slapping a high tech alternator on the end of the turbine? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that just what a? That's kind of what a. 
I mean, yeah, I was about to say, just a high-tech alternator. We're engineers, right? High-tech alternator? Mm. A big boy alternator? That APOP team, uh, yeah, they're kind of they're hitting some of the roadblocks we are when it comes to funding. Uh, you know, there's these <laughs> the blocks happen, right, between uh, the organizations and us actually getting the money. So Who isn't hitting the same roadblocks? I mean, hey, fair enough, right? So, I will say, though, with the APOP team, they're doing a lot more MATLAB because they have to do not only show that their ramjet can hit those numbers, they have to do a whole MATLAB simulation of their ramjet. They're quote-unquote simulated. Yeah. And they're being graded based upon how close they can hit those simulation numbers to their actual ramjet. Yeah, that's pretty... I mean, that's kind, uh, that's kind of similar in like one respect where we're, we're simulating a, an altitude that we're choosing and then we have to see how right. close we get to that. But that's still a very... They have a very focused project, which I think is really cool because they, they have one aspect they're trying to perfect. And I think that uh, perfecting a craft like that is very interesting. Indeed. You know, all, what, what does they say? Jack of all trades, but master of none. So... Better than master one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Depends on what you're doing, right? Yeah. Uh, so, APOP, we've talked about Heart, APOP, AgDrone. Uh, the did we talk about AgDrone? SVC. No, we, we didn't ha- talk about AgDrone. We talked about we did not talk. But we do have an AgDrone team. Yes, Agricultural Drone, who I believe their contractor is uh, in Thailand. Is in Thailand, yes. Mm-hmm. And um, their project is pretty cool. We actually have a friend of ours who is on the ag drone team. And unfortunately, it looked like they recently had a, a drone crash uh, when trying to test their uh, test the ag drone, which the ag drone is ha- kind of heritage from previous years, um, advancements to it. Uh, you know, you kind of pretty much from what I can tell, uh, most teams just take on what the previous team has started doing. Uh, other than like USLI, which restarts pretty much every year. Um, so like the ag drone stuff from last year's capstone team carries over to this team, but this team is trying to make their own advancements and their own fixes to it. But yeah, their contractors in Thailand, um, I believe they're trying to spray out and plant seeds um, in long rows, right? Or pesticides. I is it, pe- is pesticides? it pesticides? Yeah, there's a certain mix. Some, yeah. It's an organic farm. They have hence, their own mix. Hence the agricultural drone. And they want to they wanna do some pesticides with the drone to make the agricultural process faster. Yeah, it's uh, theirs is also uh, very cool, like kind of like the SBC uh, UAV stuff where it's actually like helping people. Ours is just like we launch big rocket, which is still cool, <laughs> but it doesn't really help anyone out, right? right. We're not really solving a problem. Practice for Mars. Yeah, it's well, practice for Mars. We're solving Houston's problem. Hey, <laughs> bingo. At least it's not rocket science. Yeah, at exactly. least it's not rocket science. But uh, what? So we got Agdron, Apop, USLI, Heart, Hail. Uh, then there is the micro uh, SAE team micro sae team the micro airplane team yeah okay that's wait Except i believe they just they changed, changed their, their name? name to mad west i think i believe so i don't forgot. quote us on that they changed their name to something they recently did this yes that's why we're all it's kind like of a de- de- design build fly so it's like uh i believe their project um what it is is they they have to take off from a very small table and then also land on that table with a payload Correct. um and it's uh, that one is also very cool as well because it's like uh, this they're scaling down essentially a concept that we all understand with like planes uh, and they're doing it on uh, a level that requires a lot more precision in my opinion there's a lot less calculation for error and to clear up any confusion it's specifically fixed wing yes fixed wing fixed wing that is not uh, you can't have a helicopter or those little fancy drones that they have nowadays yeah the little the little fancy drones 
So uh, all very cool projects. I think that hit all of them, right? I will say though, like when when they were presenting their their project, the microplane, and they they have a, a certain limit of takeoff landing. So that's one of their biggest problems that they were saying last time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to mention that they should put rockets on their plane, like <laughs> what, the, Jake, the the AC one thirty, like the C one thirty J. Yeah, you know, okay. Where they take off and then they have the ones that slow them down. Exactly, and then they mentioned that they are not allowed to have rockets, and oh, I was like, oh, J-Dope that's stuff. out the that's out the window. I know. I mean, most engineers could probably solve a lot of the problems by just strapping a jet engine on it, right? <laughs> or strapping a motor. Like those rocket trucks, the semis? Rocket trucks. Have you ever seen those? What are you talking about? Oh, so <laughs> this, this, this summer. Yeah, please do. Uh, this summer I went to a, an air show in McMinnville, and it was the International Air Show. Um, part of the show was this, this uh, semi truck mm-hmm. without the tractor, or without the trailer. It was just the tractor. And it had two... F-22 size jet engines on it. Holy crap. And this thing produced, I think it was 22,000 pounds of thrust. Oh, my Lord. And it was maxing about 580-something miles per hour down the airstrip. Zooming down the airstrip? Yeah. And you can see this huge flame just coming out the back. That's like the, I think that, that's close. I mean, that's not close, close, but I know that they they broke the the land speed record by breaking the sound barrier with like the thrust SSC rocket car, you know, sometime I think in the last 50 years. And that's kind of what that reminds me, 580 miles per hour. I believe it was that. I might be like, that might be too high. Pretty nuts. Semi-truck? Yeah, this is a semi truck. Yeah, the Did most. You call it a un- semi? Is that a Texas? Is that a <laughs> Texas thing? A Tejas? The most unaerodynamic vehicle out there. <laughs> it's like driving my Jeep down the highway at that point, <laughs> with a rocket strap. Yeah, with a rocket strapped to the yeah. back. You know, aerodynamics of a brick. Aerodynamics be damned. Wow, that's that because that reminds me of like uh, I've seen tractor poles where they they put like. Uh, those big, like, or they put like several chainsaw engines on it just to make it like pull harder. As like, a, I've also seen, I've also seen tractors. My, so my my grandpa before he passed away, he was very into like tractors and tractor pulling and all. You know, I mean, just esticated things. Hashtag just hillbilly things. <laughs> um, he, he was very interested in tractors and caterpillars and big equipment. And I remember seeing one piece of equipment that was so large that it required a smaller engine to start the bigger engine. And I think that we actually had one of those uh, come and clear our property where my family lives now back in Estacada. They cleared out like five acres worth of property by just like basically pushing into trees and them being uprooted by it. So that kind of equipment is nuts, especially when you have to have a smaller engine to turn on your bigger engine. <laughs> yeah, that's efficiency. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So that's crazy stuff, man. So hmm. dead air. So I know there's other capstones. Should we talk about or find those out and then talk about them next time? Yeah. And uh, I don't know any off the top. Of my we head. could definitely, um, we, we know people all on campus that uh, also, I guess, if you're listening and you have interest with coming on to the podcast and being interviewed or just talking about uh, something that you're passionate about, um, you could also email me at uh, coltonj at oregonstate.edu or col. T-O-N-J at OregonState.edu. Uh, I'd be very interested to hear what you'd like to come on and talk about. Uh, Nathaniel, you could. do you want them to also email you or you want was, them to come through me? I was going to say you could email me as well. Uh, Nathaniel Hannon at Oregon State or H Hannon and A at OregonState.edu or H-A-N-N-A-N-N-A at OregonState.edu. <laughs> 
So yeah, and we will also be listed uh, under KBVR uh, as at least it's not rocket science. You don't have to give them your email if, if you don't want to. Yeah, no, don't email me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know emails right Just now. But do not you, disturb. Yeah. If we do end up doing video and you get recognize me or anything, if you have any questions, I'm more than happy to one-on-one talk to people. He is like 34 feet tall. <laughs> I would like to reiterate back to the AAA projects. We forgot the ion propulsion project oh, or yeah. ion thrust are they awesome. a capstone project it is not a capstone but it is under the aiwa umbrella oh that's great uh dr camburn yes oh he's a big he's a big guest that we'd actually like to to get on and talk about uh so some of his ion research um i i can't even understand the magic behind ion engines we talked because we okay kyle and i are both in the aae 210 class with dr camburn and he was explaining some of that stuff and it is like it is literally like magic it's Star Wars. You know, from, <laughs> go ahead. From my understanding of ion propulsion, because I've kind of dove deep a little bit or dug deep a little bit into it, it's the best way to like comprehend it is just solar wind. That's what I've been told. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I've felt like what it is. I, I rationalize it in my head, essentially. I, I can't say exactly what the process is because I'm not very well versed in this, but from my understanding, it is just simply a stripping of... Uh, polarities of plus and minus mm-hmm. charges and then that uh, magnetic how would you say it uh, <laughs> difference is what's pushing the object forward creating this kind of quote-unquote wind but of I course see. there's a, there's so a lot this more is the good stuff Th- to add to it huh this is the podcast right here this is just <laughs> adding complicated scientific nonsense to it there's a lot more to it so just that's like the baby rundown that well, i know the way that i understand it as well is that it's kind of like a hose of um of just ionized uh like plasma essentially coming out of the back of it it doesn't it doesn't produce that much thrust but man is it efficient go ahead yeah Kyle. so uh, to translate geek into English, uh, <laughs> what they're doing is they're spitting out electrons out of the end and yep. make it go. <laughs> make, make go fast. Make go yep. fast. But Zoom. the primary concept is that it would be in space. So you have that little bit of thrust, a little bit of thrust, a little bit of thrust, a yep. little bit of thrust. But that constant acceleration with no, no resistance. resistance at all. Mm-hmm. Um, That's where your delta V comes in. Mm-hmm. There you go. Um, Which would be exit velocity times the natural log of the mass final over mass initial, for those of you that's wondering. This will be on the test. Yeah, this will be on the test. <laughs> you will be uh, questions next week. <laughs> but uh, so they were thinking about getting to Mars in like two weeks with something like that or a series of that. Get it efficient getting, enough. Mm-hmm, get into the edge of the solar, solar system yep. under a year, which is crazy. That's but, the uh, kind of stuff that uh, – now you're getting me all amped up about my, my space stuff. That's what gets me really interested with like the solar sail technology. Is man, that's literally just running off the sun. Like that's just free energy. It's free. It's freely real estate. <laughs> well, uh, that ion engine, you know, it's just electrons. Yeah. Yep. And the solar sail is literally just like the the solar radiation, just like essentially all the the ionized particles, just like bouncing off a giant sail and just pushing you forward. The only issue is you need to turn around at a certain point based on the target you're going to. So you always have to travel to like a different star system unless you have engines because, you know, say you have like the the sun, right? The sun-sized star. And then you go to like the nearest guy, which is Proxima Centauri. Obviously that's like a red, uh, that's a red dwarf. So it's much smaller. So you're going to have to turn around way earlier. (laughs) Yeah, obviously. (laughs) Get me all hyped up now. You You know what another thing is that's really cool? 
Yeah, now you got Hit me. me with it. Now you got me. Act. Let's hear it. You know what this is? You ever heard of an Orion Drive? I've heard it mentioned in passing. Do you is know that, what it is? Is that like a Google Drive? Nope. <laughs> it is not a Google Drive. <laughs> an Orion Drive. <clears throat> so let me lay, let me, I'm rubbing my hands together evilly. Let me lay the groundwork for you here, okay? So back in, you know, probably during the Cold I War. Yeah, <laughs> sometime during the Cold War, there was this operation called Operation Plumbob. Now, Operation Plumbob involved uh, either it was a bunker buster or they built a bunker over a nuclear bomb. And basically, they blew it up to see what happened. I mean, America just loved blowing up stuff. I mean, they still do. I mean, we still do. I'm not building nukes, though. I allegedly mean, the black powder testing for usli we're That's all looking true. forward to that i mean we are that's just blowing up stuff too that that is that is a very fair point that is going to be a very fun trip to cabela's yeah yeah just go ahead just emptying out shotgun shells get there right no, they, uh, last time i was there they sell reloading supplies i think that we do have a gun uh like an ammo website listed as our supplier for that for mm-hmm. getting black powder yeah in our itemized four, budget list times 4f <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that there's some in the one of the hazard cabinets as well, in, yeah, an, undi- like in an undisclosed location. Three containers of it. Yeah, there's a lot. Not on campus. Not, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, as I was saying, Operation Plumbob. So essentially, Operation Plumbob, uh, when they did that, there happened to be this manhole-shaped, and this is, I think this is also like an urban legend. I don't know if this actually happened. Or like it happened, but I don't know if to, to the degree. So Operation Plumbob, uh, they had a manhole cover in the top of this bunker, and when it went off, it launched the uh, manhole cover. I almost said a cursey word there. It uh, launched the manhole cover like faster than anything that had ever gone. Uh, basically, faster than Voyager. Uh, essentially, I think it. I think they calculated it blew it out at like thirty thousand miles per hour. Like immediately left Earth, like uh, or orbit, like immediately it just like left the escape velocity of like the the atmosphere. It launched, and NASA's like interesting. And so the Orion Drive, <laughs> the Orion Drive essentially is a propulsion system that is utilizing a quote unquote controlled explosion. Uh, behind it, essentially a giant pusher plate. So the Orion, they did test this not with nukes. Of course, <laughs> that that would be illegal. Hope. <laughs> yeah. So there's actually videos of this online where they did a miniature test. But basically, what it is is um, best way I can explain it is there is a big, big like plate on the bottom of like a kind of a big donut shaped with like a little hole in the middle, like a, mm-hmm. a donut that's really badly made where the hole is very tiny in the middle. So kind of like those carnival games where you hit the hammer onto the little plate and it bings. Kind of. I'm trying to I'm trying to think of my best way to explain it. Man, I'm trying to talk with my hands. So it's, that it's, little it's like tiny a donut hole would be where the thrust would be coming. So, yeah. So, so well, I'll explain. So, imagine, like, I stabbed a pin into the top of this circular water bottle thing right. on the top of yours. That's the size of the hole. So, like, a donut where the hole is, like, super tiny, but the, the actual, like, dough is huge. Okay, okay. Imagine you t- take, like, a cake and, like, stab a straw right in the middle of it. Like, how small mm-hmm. it's compared to anything else. So, basically, and then, oops, <laughs> and then, sorry, you got me excited. And then this this big uh, this big shape here, this big plate, will also be attached to, like, these big, like, spring pistons. Spring, it's it would be a bit more complicated than that, but you know what I mean. And so, basically, what happens is it would drop a controlled nuclear charge out that little tiny baby hole, and essentially, they would detonate it right below it. And so when it detonates, the explosion essentially pushes that plate and also pushes the craft. And then the plate 
uh, also unpushes, and that also propels the craft. So basically, you get a two for one from that nuclear explosion. So basically, it's using explosions to push the craft. It's literally like the dumbest thing you could probably think of. And America's like, we like it. But it actually would work. The math works out, and they've done tests. It, not with that plate pusher design, but with like the solid plate, where basically like it explodes and it pushes it, and then it's like right before it's like right as it's still approaching its apogee, you hit it again and it speeds it up and again and again and again. And basically, it just leads to like this long process. And as soon as you get into space, you don't have to worry about hitting it before apogee again because you hit it once, it speeds you up. You keep speed, hit it again, it speeds you up. And so that's been theoretically. Um, proposed that it can get up to like point like two percent the speed of light if they manage to get the explosions correctly which the orion like i said look it up please the orion drive uh just look up orion drive tests uh it's super cool i don't think that we will ever do it but uh the people have done tests back in like the 60s like i mentioned super cool so yeah i think after they uh i think it was starship prime Excuse me. Starship Prime was like the last uh, nuclear explosion that they did in the upper atmosphere. And that was America, of course. Pretty crazy to to see cuz like they have videos of all of them, of course. So, I actually saw an interview uh, about the people who were testing who were like there in person. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, you can have that initial shock and you get the energy and the radiation and you get the same uh energy waves as X-ray. As X-ray. Yeah. Sorry if you can't hear me. My I'm pointing at him. I'm pointing at him. I'm <laughs> threatening him. I'm telling him to uh, speak closer to the mic. Speak closer. Speak louder. Got it. All right. Cool. Um, and they would be a- able to see their skeleton even with their eyes. I've closed. heard about have, that. Have you seen that? Interview? I've heard. I haven't watched the interview, but I've heard. Where they would close their eyes. Well, because like something went off. Yeah, because like, that was like the that was like the towards the end of when they were doing the nuclear tests, like mm-hmm. the Castle Bravo stuff, where yeah. like they had a different sort of reaction that was creating like way more radiation and like way more like of these potent rays. I think they were trying to figure out if plutonium or uranium. Yeah, I think was it was the, the plutonium ones that they started getting like the the super cancer that you get. Jeez. Like yeah, that that's crazy. <laughs> I I remember now the the manhole cover. That's probably the first uh, Earth to orbit uh, body that has ever been. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was like, launched. That was like I mean, it's like the fastest thing. That, I mean, like I think it's been theorized that by now, if it went in the same direction, it would have passed Voyager. What? Yeah, I think it may have launched earlier than Voyager um, by just a couple years, but. I think that if they launched at the exact same time, I think that it would have the lead by at least, like, I don't know. If they launched at the exact same time, the exact same velocity, like, that Voyager is now, like, it probably would be, like, still a few months ahead of it. Turtle hair situation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like it's like turtle and, like, rocket situation. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Operation Plum Bob, that's another one to look up. Uh, you know, all the nuclear tests yielded some pretty cool results as long as no one gets hurt. But, uh, you know. I'm glad, I'm glad that we stopped doing some of those. I mean, there's lots of uh, lots of cool like stuff that NASA has done that a lot of different space agencies that have uh, have done. Like, uh, you know, speaking of Cold War, this is the, we're just kind of dipping into me rambling about space and science no, and all that. This is probably one of my favorite things about interacting with a lot of engineers. We all know the weirdest things <laughs> yes. that are related to science and history. Yeah, I was, and... This is exactly what I'm going into. You already know. So... South Africa, speaking of nukes, South Africa, um, they had nuclear weapons at one point in time. 
um, and they decided to disarm all of them. Uh, but uh, there, so again, Cold War stuff. Uh, America at one point in time put up the satellite system called the Vela satellites, and these suckers were like super, super high, like uh, orbit. Uh, so like so far that like the Soviet Union could detect them or wouldn't know they were there. And basically the only thing that these were supposed to do was they were supposed to detect like uh, an increase in like gamma radiation. Um, and a big source of gamma radiation that they knew of at the time was nuclear bombs. And so uh, at a certain point in time, uh, this is like a big like uh, mystery as well. Like there was like a they detected a nuclear test off of the coast of South Africa, even though it had been long before South Africa had uh, like disarmed all of their, their nukes. And so it has been a big mystery of like, oh, is it the Soviet Union or was it just like the South African people like testing out nukes? But I bring this up because the Vela satellite was also one of the first few satellites to detect a gamma ray burst because it detected a burst of gamma radiation so high that I think it busted the sensor on it. <laughs> And I think it, it didn't detect it from Earth. It detected it from space. And I think that's one of the – that's one of, like, the, our first understandings of, like, literally, like, the biggest, the greatest explosions in the universe, like a supernova and the hypernova with the gamma ray burst. And uh, just because we put up this big satellite to look for nuclear explosions is how we figured that out. And I think that's pretty crazy coincidence. So about all that space radiation pretty much? Yeah, exactly. Well, you know what a gamma ray burst is, right? No. Oh, so the so. gamma ray burst essentially is, yeah, I was about to say both of us could probably explain it. No, you go ahead. Oh. <laughs> well, gamma ray burst essentially is um, when the mass of the star is big enough. I, I don't know the, the exact specifics of when it becomes from a hypernova. Well, the supernova does not have a gamma ray burst. Hypernova does. I think the, the hypernovas only occur when it's a sufficiently large star. So large enough for a supernova, but larger than a supernova. I think it's basically at the bridge between it becoming like a neutron star, a black hole, or like a like that kind of range where it's, it's mm -hmm. dense enough to do that, but it doesn't exactly. <clears throat> Excuse me. So the gamma ray burst essentially, uh, I think it's from, I know that there's magnetic poles like literally everywhere on a star because it's so... It, 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 stars are kind of weird with with all of their magnetospheres and all that and right. it being so large going out of the solar system and all that but I think out of like their two like this two like celestial poles like the ones that like align with the galaxy mm -hmm. uh, the star essentially will explode and it shoots out this this beam at the speed of light this beam of like gamma energy um at you know the speed of light and it's massive and it just comes out the, the comes out of the poles and it, it you know goes infinitely goes right. until it stops and uh, it's the large they are by far the largest explosion uh, that we know of uh, in existence so and they're happening all the time yeah and to clarify for people who don't know what gamma rays are they're the things that kill you when you're close to radiation like a nuclear reactor. Mm -hmm. Um, it'll go through concrete, I think, go through lots yeah, of Yeah, it just depends things. on what it is. It's mm -hmm. such a, I think it's such a small wavelength that it can mm -hmm. literally just go through anything. And that's, that's the thing you got to watch out for. Yeah, essentially just like they're, I mean, radiation in general is divided into a lot of particles, but essentially it's just particles hitting your particles hard enough to knock them out of place. Yep. So, but yeah, that's what the gamma ray burst is. So, so this, this burst destroyed this satellite sensor so it it didn't even like come anywhere near the solar system which is the crazy part basically the sensor i don't know if it, i don't remember if it destroyed it or if it overloaded it but yeah 
it was like such this this crazy mar- like a, say they were expecting like a number like a 10 not even a, i'm not even put a unit on it say they were expecting like a 10 they probably got like a 2 million and they were like whoa <laughs> whoa what are the soviets doing over there and they're like oh wait that's from space and they probably thought it was aliens at first honestly i wouldn't be surprised could it have been from like a solar flare of the sun or Mm-mm. is it specifically just specifically gamma ray bursts or what produce well, what we know of now is produced that much solar flares i think have a different composition gotcha yeah the solar flares uh, also have like a distinct effect on the earth too if they're large enough and satellites um, and they have affected satellite stuff before but it's in a complete different way and NASA and most of the world's governments are watching the sun like a hawk. <laughs> that, is a, that is a very fair point. Yeah. The Once po- they figured out solar flares it. could be a thing, they were like, have you guys heard about the the solar flare shield that NASA's trying to commission? I've heard of it, but I don't think it's possible. I thought it was like a, a thing at some point that I got curious and I Googled it. And apparently that's like a, a thing that they're kind of working on on the side. Like just in case. A way of shielding us from Yeah, the... I don't know the exact specifics. The image I think they had on there wasn't accurate. It looked like something out of Futurama, which I thought was weird. <laughs> but uh, I gave it some thought. And yeah, it's, I think, entirely possible to shield like major centers, like big cities. Oh, yeah. With like miniature shields in orbit. You know, you just like take the hit for certain things. Man, that that's it's like reactive armor on like a tank, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's crazy. That it, man, it's it's pretty. I mean, it makes you really appreciate uh, where we are and how oblivious. Not to not to like uh, give like a nihilist tone to everyone listening. I'm not saying this is going to happen, of course, but it certainly gives perspective for like uh, how unaware we are of our general vicinity, right? Like uh, a dart uh, that was a recent NASA mission. Uh, mm-hmm. That's actually what. I'm a part of a, a NASA Academy as well, where I'm a mentor, and they're doing a lot. Of, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're doing a lot of. Uh, they're talking about a lot of uh, asteroid defense right now, and that was inspired by the DART mission. Basically, the the DART mission is supposed to help figure out whether we are able to d- redirect asteroids to, to save our butts, right? So, asteroid redirect mission. I think the answer is yes. Yes, I think that they. <laughs> I, I think they, cer- on they certainly prove that they can move it, uh, and I think. They moved it quite a bit. They, like, affected its orbit by, like, 30 minutes, I think. So you just need enough to push it off course, right? Because, you know, things – my point is there's asteroids, there's gamma ray bursts, there's solar flares that could literally happen at a moment's notice, right? Yep. There's this, There is a myriad of things that could honestly just, like, boop, wipe us all. Like the gamma ray burst, for example, like, it doesn't even have to hit Earth. It could come within, like, a thousand – no, it come within, like, a light year, and it would probably still all be roasted. I think even if it hit Earth, don't, doesn't Earth have a natural radiation defense? Not for that big. Not for that big? <laughs> yeah. Now that's something that's going to keep me up at night. Thank yeah. you for that. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome <laughs> to everyone listening. Uh, yeah, the gamma ray bursts are uh, kind of nuts. I mean – you know, <laughs> if you weren't aware, you're aware now, right? Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, the gamma ray, I mean, it's, it's. I just, you know, I just go on these long reads on Wikipedia sometimes. I just read into all this. I'm like, wow, that is pretty amazing. Just like what the universe can pump out. I had a rabbit hole with black holes like that. Oh, I love black week. holes. Don't get me started. And I'm like, well, what what can we do? And the answer is nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Literally nothing. Did, did you ever watch the Stephen Hawking's documentary on black holes? Um, and the Hawking's radiation? I didn't see it, but I, it's on my watch list. I recommend it. Definitely. Um, yeah, I love his stuff. Getting a lot more space stuff nowadays. I recently read... 
uh, Hail Mary. If you guys haven't read that, mm-hmm. have you? So it's by the same author who read, who, not read, <laughs> wrote, who wrote The Martian. Oh, so, I love The Martian. So if you haven't read The Martian or don't, in, if you're not familiar with it, it reads like an engineer thinks. I think the author, even though he's a it, botanist in the movie, <laughs> yeah, even though he's a botanist in the movie, but I think the author is like an actual engineer or yeah. something where he does like all these simulated things. So most of the things in his book are feasible because he uses like real, sim- yeah, real units of measurement, and so it's feasible, like not proven but feasible. And I think that's incredibly interesting. You're speaking of black holes. There's actually a book that I read uh, a few years back called Nomad. I don't know. It's probably it's not very realistic, but it's kind of interesting as a as a thought. Uh, nomad, obviously, being the etymology of the word, essentially meaning like someone that walks. And uh, basically, this book is about a black hole that just ro- that's just a roaming uh, a galaxy, essentially. Are roaming around the galaxy, and it just kind of swings through the solar system, and it just throws everything out of whack. So, but yeah, it looks like we're getting to time. Yeah, we're so, uh, we're we're getting some uh, some hands saying that we're talking for too long. I guess that uh, that's going to conclude episode one. And you know, at least it's not rocket science. Yes, uh, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you, Nathaniel. Thank you, Kyle. No problem. And. Uh, <laughs> This is JJ also saying thank you to me, so thank you, me. You're welcome. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we're uh, we're going to be back at this uh, next week. Uh, hopefully we'll have someone interesting that uh, we can talk to. And, yeah, uh, th- thank you so much, everyone, for listening, and uh, we hope you have a wonderful night. And any closing words? At least it's not rocket science. <laughs> at least it's not rocket science. All right, y'all. Have a good one. Bye. <laughs>